Welcome to All About Art. My name is Alexandra, and I'm an art historian, curator, and writer. Within this podcast, topics relating to art history, cultural policy, the art sector, as well as a large range of other art-related topics will be covered. Conducting critical discussions, having entertaining exchanges, or just enjoying some relaxing chats? All About Art is where you'll find it all. Join me in exploring and developing cultural discourse. Welcome to another episode of All About Art. This episode is more like all about cultural policy, or maybe something along the lines of all about feminism in the arts. Either way, I will be sure to sprinkle in a little bit of art and art history as well. Within this episode, I will be doing a book review of Invisible Women, Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men, written by Caroline Criado Perez. While using some of the themes she writes about to discuss issues within the arts and cultural sector. If that sounds interesting, keep listening. So, Invisible Women. The book is about what happens when we forget to account for half of humanity, when we forget to include women. When I say include women, it's very much in every sense of the word, including them in decision making, including their perspectives, their needs, including them in the thread that weaves our society. You may think that we already do this within our society. However, this book uses data, or the explicit lack of data, which proves these data gaps, to show how our system actively puts women at a disadvantage in so many ways when life goes quote-unquote on like normal which means when life goes on according to what is normal for straight, predominantly white men. Now, if you're a white man listening and you're feeling a little bit offended at this point, please don't click away just yet. I assure you what benefits us will also benefit you as working together to create an equal society will only bring positive outcomes for all. Criado Perez structures the book in six main parts and they are titled Daily Life, the workplace, design, going to the doctor, public life, and when it goes wrong. Before she dives into these parts, which are also subdivided into chapters, she prefaces everything with a quote by Simone de Beauvoir. Representation of the world, like the world itself, is the work of men. They describe it from their own point of view, which they confuse with the absolute truth. This is such a great quote that, in hindsight, can be applied to every single part of the book. Representation and perspective are key components in striving for equality. I will touch on that a bit later in the episode in relation to the arts. Anyway, back to the book. I won't go into it chapter by chapter because that's not really what I want to do. Instead, I'm going to take bits out of the book that I found most interesting and I'll tell them to you, while also putting them into the context of the arts. If you could see me right now, you would see that my copy of the book is filled with underlines, highlights, penciled notes, and sticky tabs all throughout. But don't worry, I won't go into absolutely everything that I noted down. I will only talk about some of the examples. Issues of representation, as I mentioned, result in social inequalities which shape who gets to make judgments as well as what those judgments are. The male gaze in the film industry is a prime example, and Hollywood is arguably the most influential contributor to it. 
This is not new. It is a rarity to find films that have women as protagonists or that are directed by women. And the films that are receive fewer awards. I will put the source to that in the podcast notes as well if you're interested in what other literature is relevant to this topic. All of this is a clear reflection of the way in which women function within our society and that so many barriers still exist even if they're not as easily quantifiable as other things. One of the biggest things that Criado Perez always points out is that these inequalities are so difficult to quantify because of this gender data gap. Because sex desegregated data just isn't there. So really, how would we even know if women are being affected or how women are being affected when it's not even looked at? It's not researched. And you also can't say that our systems are equal just because how they function is not negatively affecting you. So there's nothing making you find out otherwise. Just because your experience of the world or of the way that a certain system functions doesn't put you at a disadvantage, that doesn't mean that it's not a disadvantageous system. Does that make sense? Now, a bit on this in relation to the arts and cultural sector. A definition of culture is, quote, the way of life, especially in general customs and beliefs of a particular group of people at a particular time. Culture can also include characteristics that reflect ways of living that would not be considered art, such as dining customs or religious traditions. Some art forms are influenced by specific cultures, and culture is, in some ways, also informed by art and creative expression. Culture encompasses behaviors and beliefs which are reflected in the everyday life of a people. And connected to this, something that Criado Perez consistently points out is that embedded within Western culture and everyday life, there is a quote-unquote default male approach, which defines the way that we live our lives. Of course, this is also defining how the arts and cultural sector functions as a whole. An example of this direct relation to the cultural sector, and also in relation to education, is the introduction chapter of the book called The Default Male. The example that Criado Perez brings is that a student in the UK wrote to her exam board regarding a noticeable lack of female composers in her music syllabus for her 215 A-levels. The student then received a reply which stated that, quote, Given that female composers were not prominent in the Western classical tradition, or others for that matter, there could be very few female composers that could be included. Perez then rightly states that the exam board did not mean to claim that there are not any female composers, but instead they were referring to the canon of composers, to the body of works generally agreed to have been most influential in shaping Western culture. It is absolutely shocking to me that in an exam board, after having that issue presented to them by a student, actually responded with, oh, that's not our problem. It just wasn't possible. The whole mindset and the argument reminds me of one of the best pieces of feminist literature on art ever, which is Why Have There Been No Great Women Artists by Linda Nochlin. It was published a half century ago about how women are not included in the canon of Western art and culture. 
The essay has a provocative title, and the 50th anniversary edition came out not too long ago with an updated essay and a nice foreword, and I really suggest reading it if you haven't already. It's really short and incredibly important, and I find it a staple read for any arty feminist or anyone, to be completely frank with you. But a point that connects both Nochlin and Criada Perez is, again, lack of representation. So why have there been no great women artists? Well, for one, women were not permitted to be attending life drawing classes until the late 19th century, thus restricting them from an important part of training that men had the privilege of access to for centuries. By the time that women could access this, it was no longer really relevant within artistic discourse. Some may argue that this is no longer the case today because men, women, and non-binary people can happily attend life drawing classes at any time should they wish. However, just as it was too late back then, this is no longer really a skill that is required when aspiring to succeed as an artist, as the values and tastes of Western society have since shifted. An example of where this would no longer be relevant is in the conceptual art movement of the late 20th century, or any work that is related to the avant-garde. These historical circumstances have had an effect on today's approach, as students who are pursuing a degree in the history of art, for example, will mainly be taught about the infamous male artists of the 16th to 19th centuries. When learning about female artists, it is often in a feminist context. Although feminism is incredibly important, the risk of labeling art as feminist art simply because a woman created it is quite a persistent phenomenon. When we think about the artistic genius or brilliance in general, the presence of the gender data gap makes itself known. In chapter four, The Myth of Meritocracy, Criado Perez mentions that female geniuses in history don't come to mind easily. We statistically seem to see femininity as inversely associated with brilliance, basically meaning that the more feminine something or someone is, the less brilliant it is considered to be. A study cited by Perez shows that participants were given images of both male and female science faculty at elite U.S. universities. They found that appearance had no impact on how likely it was that a man would be judged to be a scientist. However, when it came to women, the more stereotypically feminine they looked, the less likely it was that people would think they were a scientist. I would like to quote another statement Perez makes in her book. The history of humanity, the history of art, literature, and music, the history of evolution itself, all have been presented to us as objective facts. But the reality is, these facts have been lying to us. They have all been distorted by a failure to account for half of humanity, not at least by the very words we use to convey our half-truths. It has fueled the myth of male universality. And that is a fact. The act of Perez placing the history of humanity and the history of evolution itself in the same context as the history of art, literature, and music directly underlines culture's importance in both history and modern-day society, and how detrimental the patriarchal lens can be to it. In the example of the aforementioned A-levels and the lack of female composers present, it begs the question of not only gender, but also ethnicity. Were any of these male composers non-Western? 
Or is the education received by the youth in Western society only based on the creative output of middle-aged white men? The focus of these A-levels was on the Western classical tradition. So, yes, it could be argued that the exam board did not deem it necessary to include musicians from other cultures. Understandable, as the focus was on the Western tradition. However, this highlights the entire problem at hand. The focus should be shifted entirely, and instead of allowing for white male voices to dominate the cultural sector, as well as every other sector other than the household, arguably, there should be a conscious effort to include more non-Western traditions in the school and university syllabus. In Criado Perez's first chapter, titled Can Snow Clearing Be Sexist?, she highlights how another seemingly banal aspect of everyday life namely snow clearing, is inherently sexist. Bear with me here. The commute times and means of transport that are more typical for women were not taken into account as much as that of men. This had an effect on their respective journeys, actually putting women at a larger risk of injury due to the lack of clearing when not traveling by car, which was the main mode of transport for men. This is not due to an intentional exclusion of women. However, as Perez states, it came about as a result of a gender data gap. In this instance, a gap in perspective. The men, and it would have been men, who originally devised the schedule, knew how they traveled and they designed it around their needs. They didn't deliberately set out to exclude women. They just didn't think about them. They didn't think to consider if women's needs might be different. And so this data gap was a result of not involving women in planning. This importance of representation can be said about both women and people from non-Western backgrounds, which needs to be factored in when policymakers are chosen for their positions. In this way, more diverse perspectives can be taken into consideration when making decisions about the arts. I want to illustrate this with an example within American cultural politics, which is something that I touched on in episode 12 of All About Art for the May 2021 Art News Analysis, just in case this particular example sounds familiar to some of you lovely listeners. In the beginning of 2020, in the United States, newly elected President Joe Biden sought out to replace over half of the staff on the Federal Commission of Fine Arts, who were appointed by his predecessor, Donald Trump. This sounds drastic when stated in those terms. However, there were a total of seven, all white and all male members. Thus, four had been told by the Biden administration to resign or face termination. A few months previous to this, quite late in his presidency, Donald Trump signed an executive order in which was stated that classical architecture is the preferred style for all new federal buildings. This caused unrest, especially with those who were against the implication of imposing a quote-unquote national style. Classical architecture is derived from the Greek and Roman architecture within classical antiquity, which has come to symbolize authority and civilization in the Western world. It is also an embodiment of whiteness, something that I argue was very prevalent throughout Trump's administration in many more ways than just through architecture, despite the United States being filled with people who have a diverse range of cultural backgrounds. 
Further supporting this view is a statement made by Reinhold Martin, an architecture professor at Columbia University, who said that the executive order is an effort to use culture to send coded messages about white supremacy and political hegemony. Policymakers should be aware of the ways in which cultural identity is expressed, as well as its importance within society. As stated before with the example of snow clearing, the best way in which to ensure that policymakers are aware of cultural identities and the nuances connected to them is to appoint people who come from these cultures. That is what the Biden administration set out to do with the four new members of the Commission of Fine Arts. If you would like to know more about each of the four members' backgrounds and a little bit more about who they are, I did go into further detail on that in episode 12 of All About Art, the May art news analysis for 2021. However, just to sum it up, not only were more than half of the new appointees women, but the majority of them were people of color who have worked in diverse professional atmospheres that encompass a focus which is relevant to the broader North American population. The Biden administration set a positive example with that, as well as actions around changing the curriculum in youth education, and that is where we will begin to see change. Efforts need to be made for more female and non-binary representation, as well as more inclusion of different non-Western cultures in the arts and cultural sector. According to a report on the UK creative industries, people from wealthier backgrounds are more than twice as likely to land a job in a creative occupation and the likelihood decreases further when combined with factors of gender and or ethnicity for those from lower income backgrounds. I truly believe that making sure that a diverse range of adults are hired for positions is a very, very, very positive contribution to the developing landscape of the arts. However, the issues that remain are structural within our society. They need to be addressed in order for sustainable change to take place. Bringing this episode to a close, I hope I have given you lovely listeners some food for thought. I highly recommend reading the book, and if you are interested in the arts like I am, then keep this episode in mind when reading, as I'm sure that in most of the cases Criado Perez investigates, parallels can be drawn to the arts and cultural sector. If you found this episode interesting or have something to add on the topic, please do get in touch. As always, thank you so much for listening. And that is it for today on All About Art. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a rating or a review as it helps more people discover the show. Also, feel free to share with your friends or if you share on social media, tag me and get in touch. Thank you so much for listening.